Welcome to Whiskey and Windage, the two-way podcast for the people, by the people. My name's Adam from Silver Bullet, and I'm here with my co-host, Mike, from OCA. Mike, what's going on, brother? How are you doing today? Man, Adam, I'm doing well. How about yourself? Dude, I'm doing great today, man. So, Mike, what are we going to talk about today? Man, today we've got a, we've got a good one. I think today is going to be the perfect time for us to talk about the perfect tactical rifle setup. There are so many different options. There's so many different variants, platforms, all of that. So what I want to do is I want to do a little Q&A with you and let's talk about how you would build your perfect rifle. And in the process, I'm going to build mine. And what I hope through that is when the viewers watch and listen to this, I hope they get in the comments and tell us what they agree with, what they disagree with. And with any luck, some people are going to reach out and let us know their full build based off of how we have set this up. So I guess the best thing to do before we set this up is we have some ground rules. So Adam, why don't you tell the listeners about these ground rules? Yeah, real simple. Basically, the NFA does not exist. Yay! So no NFA, no tax stamps, no any of those short barrel, whatever you want to build, it's fine. That being said, we're going to keep the semi-automatic just to keep it straight across the board. So no semi-automatic or only semi-automatic, no NFA. And then also, it's about your rifle. I get if we have a team environment, we'd have a Grenadier, Overwatch, Cruiser, possibly. I understand all that. But this is about your rifle, whether it's your just ultimate tactical rifle you want to build whether it's your get home rifle whether it's your oh crap hits a fan rifle doesn't matter it's what do you want to build man that's that's pretty fair so to start before we get into it i also understand that there are a lot of platforms out there specifically today adam and i talked about this and we have both decided on the stoner platform while we both have done that we understand that the Kalashnikov pattern, the European direct impingement, such as like the Scar and the Bren, Bullpups, even though they're not that popular, and a lot of the German stuff, the the roller delayed blowback stuff, the HK stuff, as far as the, you know, the the G3 or the MP5, if you want to call that a rifle, I guess if you got the long enough barrel or since it doesn't matter, you can put a stock on it. But for this we're going to go with the stoner pattern. Now, whether or not Adam goes with the SR-15 or the SR-25, that's to be determined just like what you want to go with. But to start that, Adam, the best thing we can do to start this build is we need to decide our caliber. So let's go ahead and get that out of the way. What caliber are you picking? Yeah, I'm going to go with the tried and true good old 5.56 NATO. Uh, just honestly, it's very common, easy to find. I can still shoot two to three out of it. So if it is the uh, apocalypse situation or an old crap situation, there's winners and losers. And chances are the losers are going to have lots of that plentiful that you can pick up. So that's kind of my thought. And also, I guess uh, where I live and you live is urban. And uh, am I going to push past 300 yards, meters? Probably not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm exactly with you on that. If, if it comes to what I'm picking, I'm going five, five, six as well. I do see the benefit of going bigger caliber going with the 308, you know, Hey, if that's what you want to do, do you, I do see the value there. But for me personally, just like you said, Adam, I know that while the 308 and the five, five, six are very common in the United States, 
I just feel like I'm going to have better luck and better consistency using the 5.56 round. So you and I both, 5.56, now let's let's talk about the barrel. Uh, what what barrel length, what what brand do you like, and what, what are you going to go with? So barrel length, I'm looking at 13.7, and that's very specific for me. Um, yes, when you pin and weld a flash hider to it, it does make it legal, and that's not the process here, but I'm building my rifle. So I do want a pin and welded flash uh, flash hider on my on my weapon, so I'm doing 13.7 with a mid-length gas system. All right, yeah, for me um... – I think I'm going to go with a little bit longer, but still, I'm still at that SBR length. I'm going to go 14.5. With mine, I do I do have a couple I like, and uh, one of those is going to be the Noveski. I think it's the Afghan profile. It's a cold hammer forged barrel. Or I would go, my second choice would be a Geisley cold hammer forged barrel. Both of them are chrome lined. Both of them are going to give me excellent life cycle. Adam on yours. Is there a, is there a brand? Is there a, Hey, I want to buy this. You know, which one are you looking at? Any in particular? So I'm not as well versed on like every barrel maker to the point you are Mike, but I would say right now, Sons of Liberty is kind of where I'm, I'm going towards because I know they Good have a 13.7 barrel. Um, I believe I know who makes their barrel, but I don't want to misspeak on that. So I'm not going to talk about the exact specs on it, but um running a sun's barrel with that mid-length gas system is kind of where I'm looking at. Dude, that's a great choice. So we've got, we've got the barrel link. So now we need to go into starting to get into the, the rifle itself. So typically when most people start a build, they start with the lower receiver. That's, that's the cool thing. That's what's registered. That's what it is. So everyone has to get that lower. There's, there's not many choices. You got two. You've got a forged steel receiver, and you also have the billet aluminum receiver. They both have their pros and cons, but nothing really outrageous. Which one are you thinking you're going to go with? Definitely going to be a billet, and that's just because I'm a bit of a lower snob. I hate to say it, and you don't need to be a lower snob. There's no, it, It's just pure aesthetic preference for me. Um, yes, you yeah. can argue which one's stronger or weaker, but at the end of the day, they're both pretty strong. But, you know, so I'm going to go billet. What about you, Mike? Yeah, man, I think I'm going billet as well. Now I will say that there are a lot of brands that you'll be able to check out in our next episode where we talk about quality of different manufacturers and what you and I consider, you know, Gucci high end. Yeah, There are a lot of those that are in fact Gucci or high end that use a forged steel receiver. But for this exercise, I just like keeping it simple as far as it's a little bit lighter weight. So, yeah, yeah I'm cool with billet. Billet's the one for me. Now, on that, Adam, speaking of the billet, are you a ambi guy? Does it have to be ambi or does it matter? Can you just have single side? Yeah, I like it both ways. So I'm definitely going to do ambi. <laughs> pause yeah. yeah uh for honestly though i'm i am a right-handed shooter um but when it comes to the ambidextrous uh controls because there are some tactics and techniques i personally use that they do come in handy so i'm gonna go ambi it's gonna be a radian or an adm probably if i'm picking my dream right now i'm probably gonna go with uh radian no just i like their ambi switches a little bit more than um adm but it's it's really close what about you mike yeah man um to me, 
it doesn't matter. I know a lot of the fanboys are going to kill me on that, but ambi, I grew up shooting non-ambi weapons. I'm right-handed. So when it comes to the mag release, it doesn't matter where the other side is. I'm always going to use my index finger. You know, when it comes to the safety, I'm always going to use, you know, my thumb. So that's kind of where it's at. The only thing I will say, I'll give an, I'll give, I'll give a tip of the cap is when it comes to the bolt catch on the single side receiver, you've got that bolt catch right here. So you're kind of, well, on your left side. So once you add a new mag, you've either got to reach up with your thumb or you've got to slap the side of the receiver, which isn't necessarily a problem, but on my ambidextrous models, being able to use your right pointer finger slightly above the mag release button and hit that bolt catch does come in handy. So I'm going to say non-ambi, but if I get an ambi one, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to argue on it. So the other thing before you jump into talking about triggers, Adam, I do want to say, I don't want to get into parts kits. Um, as far as your pins and springs, I'm, I've, I've ran quite a few different brands. I've ran higher end brands. I've ran lower end brands. And I just think as long as they are within tolerance, there's no, there's no talk. There's no point in talking about what's better because they're, I mean, are they really? And secondly, you should have a backup set of detents and pins in, in your bag at some point. So now on to triggers, Adam, you got a favorite trigger. I do. And I'm, I, I wouldn't say I'm a trigger snob. But I'm particular because of just a lot of trigger time on rifles. So, and having to shoot a lot of GI rifles, I'm not saying the GI trigger is crap, but um, there's there's a there's a lot of improvement. There's a lot of better triggers out there. So, I'm going to go yeah. Geisley. And uh, when I say Geisley, it's for me, it's a two stage trigger. So, usually the super uh, dynamic combat trigger is the one I have a preference with. I like a flat facing trigger. It's just preference. It's not saying it's better. It's what I like. But I also like that two stage trigger where I know if I'm taking a far a further shot, I can line up, I can get on the wall, hit my breath, and and I have a little more control, a little less movement. But then in the, the day, if I just need to like run and gun, you know, you don't even feel you don't you don't feel that second stage. You're just pulling right to the trigger. Yeah. But uh, that's yeah, me, man. Mike. I don't know what what about you though? What, where where are you sitting, dude? I'm exact same. So I'm gonna run the Geisley trigger as well. I'm gonna run the the SDE, which is a flat a flat variant of a two-stage trigger as well for Geisley. I do have a couple of the the original SSAs or SSAEs, which are the enhanced models, which are the, the curved bow trigger. Nothing wrong with that. I personally like the flat front trigger. That's not you. That's fine. But definitely it's going to be a Geisley. So, yeah, Geisley's my answer as well, man. Yeah. Um, so that being said, we, we got triggers. We both agreed. Now that one's a two stage or single stage, Mike. They're both two stage. Yeah. So I'm a two stage. Those are both two well. stage. Yeah. And once again, I am not an expert in all this stuff. So there's some things here. Mike's far more of the expert on like building ARs. I've built them, but I, when, you, when it comes to part numbers and like this and that, yeah. I'm just like, oh, I can't remember. Kind of goes one. with the territory. When you, when you sell them, you gotta, you gotta kind of, you gotta kind of know yeah. all the different variants. So yeah, no problem there. So let's move on to buffers and springs, man. Yeah, but, uh, buffers um, and springs, buffers and springs, huh? So for me, Mike, I'm looking at the Geisley. I like their their um, twine. Was it the two? 
what is that? The uh, braided, the braided, the one? braided. Thank you. Yeah. See, once again, yeah. Mike's the expert on guns. I like the braided. Uh, is it better? I don't know. Does it look cooler? Yeah. So <laughs> that's honestly why I like that one. And then we'll have to talk about getting into other things, but depending what I'm doing, but I will run suppressed, probably going to run H2 depending on, you know, yeah. but that gets into your gas length and a lot of other things. So that plays into it, but right now probably an H2, but I'd probably have an H3 buffer with me just in case. Yeah. Same with me. I'm going to run the Geisley. I'm going to run the braided super duty spring. If not, the one I like and I have previous positive interaction with is going to be through Sprenco and they offer a bunch of different springs. And the way you can tell them apart is the bottom part is coated a different color. I like the heavy duty, which is the blue one. So I would probably run either the blue Sprenco or I would run the same as you. I would go with the Geisley super duty, the braided one. As far as my buffers, I'm right there with you again. I tune every gun for, a specific application. So when it comes to that, I'm going to have an H2 and H3, and I'm probably going to have an H1. I'm probably never going to use it, but I'm going to have it on the initial testing. And then once I realize, cause we all know that's not going to be the one, but I'm going to have it in case that one just stays wherever. And I'm going to take the H2 and the H3 until I really get that thing fine tuned. So we've got the, uh, we've got the spring, we've got the buffer, the tube is, you know, we've got the tube in there. What, what's the stock? So we got to have, we've got to have that stock. What you think in there? Mm. And going on with that, Mike, there's something I'm gonna throw a curveball at you. We don't, we didn't, we didn't talk about this earlier. And I just thought about this now. So I got a curveball for you. All right. Does what's the that? Castle, does the castle nut matter? And do you stake your castle nut? So no, I don't stake my castle nut. People are going to tell me, you got to stake your castle nut. And then there's other people who are going to say, I've never staked my castle nut. I personally don't because once I get the tube, once I get the buffer tube threaded into the lower receiver, perfect. And the, the buffer spring, the detent spring is in and everything's good. When I put the castle nut on, I put the whole lower in a vice and I torque that castle nut down and it's not coming off. So no, I do not stake it. What about you? So do you, um, well, do you use the German spec, the Guten tight, or do you actually like put 40 foot pounds or 40 inch pounds behind it? No, I mean, you know, I'm all about the feet, but no, not in this application. <laughs> I am going to use the wrench and, uh, I'm going to put, I'm going to put that good old Southern act right on it. And I'm going to push down as hard as I can until it stops moving. So, yeah. No. So same, same, except I did transition over pause I, with my castle nuts. I did transition over to doing the, <laughs> <laughs> I did transition over to the ADMs, the ratcheting ones. Yeah. So I've been a mm -hmm. fan of those so far. However, I did have one fail on me mm. now. I'm not saying they're bad, but I did have one fail. It also was with a long stroke AR piston, so really violent right. gun, but I did have one fail. But overall, I still like those. The ratcheting ones are great, so I've been I've been rocking those uh, primarily. So I want to throw you a curveball. We didn't talk about that, so keep on your toes. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So what what's your what's getting past the castle nut and going further down the buffer tube, what's your stock? Uh see, for me that's easy. That's like the simplest thing. That's gonna be the um SOP mod from B5 Systems. Mm -hmm. And it comes down to two main reasons why. Reason one is it holds batteries and it holds six CR123 batteries. And that'll come into play 
in the conversation we get into why that's important for me. And secondly, yep. the cheek, the cheek. I just like the bigger cheek stock. If it sits, if it's my face well, and, and it works. I, I'm so I'm a fan of it. And I'm, if you like that little circle on the top where it shows you the position of like your, you can mark like your position. But for me, it's not a big deal. I kind of know two clicks out. I'm yeah. good. Um, but if you like that, cool. So what about you, Mike? What's your what's your stock of choice? Yeah, dude, we're same on that. It's definitely going to be the SOP mod from B5. Since you picked that, I will go different. And my second choice would be the rat stock from LaRue. It's very similar as far as the cheek weld goes to the SOP mod. It also does have a removable back plate where you can keep a cleaning kit, but there isn't room for batteries. But the one thing I do like about the LaRue rat stock is on your typical stock, the adjustment lever is found on the underside. So you have to press it in and, you know, slide it forward or backwards. With the rat stock, there's actually a finger hole in the center of the stock on the side that you put your finger in, pull it back towards you, and it's adjustable. For everybody that's interested in that, definitely go check that out. Because what I do like is once you set it, if you ever get in a position where your stock is resting on a, a fixed item, you don't have to worry about it accidentally depressing the stock adjustment lever and kind of moving on you. So my honorable mention on that would definitely be the LaRue rat stock. Speaking of LaRue, I'll go ahead and state mine. I want to talk about grips. My grip would be the same brand, a LaRue APEG course grip. I found it by accident. I really like it. And since I found it, it fits my hand well, I have completely swapped every pistol grip that I have over to that because I think it's important as do I do that with my stocks, either the SOP mod or the rat keeping that, keeping that familiarity with how the grip feels in your hand, as well as how the stock lands on your shoulder. Those things are super important. So I want that continuity throughout all of the platforms. Adam, what's your, what's your grip? Well, first of all, you're spot on with that. My grip is going to be the B5 uh, gunfighter one, or not B5, the BCM gunfighter. Yeah. Yep. So I do like that straighter, like like not true. It's not true, like no slope, but there's barely any angle on the grip, which I kind of like. Um, yeah. So that one, and I'm also the same way. When you find a stock, when you find a grip, when you find a trigger, the manual of arms, I want the same in all my guns. Uh, the other reason that I do like the BCM one a lot is it has that little uh, – little pocket in the bottom, little door window thing that opens up and you can store things like a little compartment. I yeah. like that. Some people don't think it's important for me. It is because in my opinion, if anything's going to break in my gun, it's going to either be the bolt itself, the extractor and the bolt, or it's probably going to be the firing pin possibly. So I can fit all those in there with a little extra kit for even for my bolt, just a repair kit. I have it all up in there. It's tight. It's not going to go. It doesn't jiggle. It's there if I need it. So for me, that's another reason why I do like the BCM. Grip. Man, that's smart. That's real smart. So we know our stocks. We know our pistol grips. We've pretty much built the whole lower. Now it's time to come to the top side on this. So the first thing we got to select is an upper receiver. So there's going to be a couple people that say this one's better than that one. And I almost put the upper receiver very similar to 
the stock and the grip. It's kind of one of those, if you find one you like and you don't have problems with it, run it. Are there cases where some are overproduced and they don't stay within tolerance? Absolutely. But when it comes to the upper receiver, I believe the parts inside the receiver are extremely more important than the receiver itself. So Adam, what are you thinking on the upper receiver? Yeah, so I'm the same way. I think that once you have a good receiver from a decent company, like our good company. So for me, BCM is one of my ones I definitely pick. I'm also cool with because I was looking at the Sons of Liberty getting their full upper, and I'm mm-hmm. perfectly comfortable with running their Sons upper. Not a problem. But I think any like Geisley or any, even Daniel Defense, any major like mm-hmm. manufacturer is going to have a solid upper. But I would say BCM, I mean, I know you're going to talk about BCM probably, I'm guessing, because I know you know the specs on it, but – I've been told their, their specs are pretty good. So I I do like a BCM. What about you? Yeah. Yeah. So BCM is my choice. And the reason I say BCM is my choice is no disrespect to all the others out there, but BCM is the only company Bravo company manufacturing. It's the only company I can consistently get upper receivers that are shipped to me. Most importantly, the pin holes for the takedown pins are aligned where they're supposed to be every time. Even with their blims, everything's aligned perfectly. And the second point, which to me is the most important, they are the only company that I can consistently find that when it's time to install the barrel, I have to heat the upper receiver so that it is form-fitted to that barrel. Now, when I install my barrels, I lap the receiver just to make sure I'm getting a good square lockup with the barrel. But aside from that, it's the only company I have found that consistently needs to be heated so you can get that form fit. So Bravo company for me, man. So, yeah, I mean, it's to me, it's no competition. But again, like I said at the beginning, if you find something that you like, and you're comfortable running, whether it be super high end like an LMT or I don't know, any a Daniel Defense, something of that sort, or whether it's still high quality but good budget friendly price like an Aero Precision. Hey, there's no problem. What you find, you know, use that. But what's more important is the next thing we're gonna talk about, which is going to be the bolt carrier group itself. So Adam, you uh you got a bolt carrier group that you like or that you, you know, you, you would definitely say hands down, I'm running. Oh, without a doubt. So, you know, we know, we know that's the heart of the gun. That's like, in my opinion, probably the most important part of the gun. Some people might argue the barrel, but we can just call them one and the same. I think the bolt is super important. So for me, BCM all the way. Um, my other special mention that, that I do run as well is Lantac. I've had never had problems with them. I've yeah. beat them up. I've run them suppressed all the time. I have run the Lantac on my 300 blackouts a lot and uh, I've never had a problem with those. So Lantac or BCM. What about you, Mike? Yeah, for me, my, my favorite one that I've ever ran would be the LMT enhanced bolt carrier group. I definitely like that, but that would be my first choice. But in the event that I don't have the funds at that time to buy the LMT or it's not in stock and I have to just pick the next best one. My one B, cause it's not even a two to me. It's just a one B would either be 
a Noveski or it would be the Bravo company as well. So we're pretty close on that. It, I'm seeing a lot of similarities and we're hearing a couple of the same brand names keep popping up, which should be a, should be a key to some people that they're not bad, but yeah, definitely LMT is my first choice, but my, my one B is going to be Noveski or Bravo company. So now we got to talk about the charging handle. So we're installing that bolt carrier and we got to throw that charging handle in there too. You've got single side charging handles, you know, just the, the old mill spec, or you can go with something a little bigger with a little more grip on it with the, the ambi operation. What's, what's your choice on that, Adam? First, I'll say, don't be a horrible human being and run in a GI charging handle. You, you just, you're just a horrible human being. Sorry. I've had to run those for a very long time and, and they're horrible. Um, someone's going to tell me I'm wrong, but that's cool. Honestly, charging handles very, very important for me. I run suppressed like you do, like primarily always. So I want one that can help port away the gas. So I do go with a Radian and I do the Radian, okay. the, the larger talon grip one. And I'll explain why when we get into optics. Some people don't like that. And I understand why I can snag on slings. If you're doing like any kind, I guess if you're airborne, sure, cool. But none of these people talk about the situation are going to be jumping out of airplanes probably. So shouldn't be a problem yeah. but can it get sunk on your sling or your kit it, it can it can it can get definitely get hung up but i'm still going with the radian with the ported um with the ports what about you mike what's your choice? man that's not a bad that's not a bad choice and i understand why you do it i'm doing something very similar but i'm going back to geisley and i'm either going to run the airborne or the supercharging handle for almost the exact same reasons you picked the radian i like between the airborne and the super, I do like the the airborne better. But what I do like about both of them is they do have a channel cut into the lip on the bottom that does help mitigate the, the gas blowback. And for those of you that shoot suppressed, you know how quick that can drain a good time constantly getting hit in the face with gas. So... I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to have to go with something that helps mitigate that. So yeah, it's going to be yeah. the uh, the Geisley Airborne or the supercharging handle for me. No, it so, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So we've got the bolt carrier, we've got the charging handle, we've got the upper, we've even got the barrel. We we went on that at first, and you went with the thirteen seven, and I was the fourteen five. So now we have to. Basically, we got to cover that guy up. We got to put the handguard on, and there are a couple options. You have the GI old school issue, the the clamshell, the plastic, or the composite clamshell. You also have the the key mod rail. You also have the M lock, and last, you've got the quad rail. When it comes to your handguard, which one are you going to lean towards? So I've definitely evolved on this one and thought put a lot of thought into this because I shoot suppressed so much and I notice like in Texas when it's 100 degrees out and I'm trying to shoot suppressed for a long time, if I'm not wearing a glove with the rail I have, my BCM, great rail, M-lock rail, it just gets really hot. So yeah, trying to think about how I could like mit mitigate that, I'm looking at getting a quad rail possibly and I would want to run a quad rail because with the quad rail, I can still run all my attachments, do everything I want to do. 
I can still put the little hand thingies on there if you're worried about your hand getting hurt. Um, but at mm-hmm. the end of the day, I want a thicker rail that I know can help probably keep the heat away from my hand a little better. And it doesn't sound like a lot, but trust me, if that bigger diameter makes a big difference because that gas block gets unbelievably hot on the suppress gun. So it's yeah. just one of those things where if you're in a gunfight, that's the last thing I want to worry about is my gun having an issue or being too hot to hold. So what about yeah. you, Mike? What's your, what's your pick? I'm a quad rail guy as well for the exact same reasons you said. I am that guy that puts the rail panels on just so I don't hurt my little fingers. Aww. But yeah, but honestly, my whole logic behind the quad rail is not because it's the popular choice now. Quad rails are coming back. But my reason is I don't want to have to depend on another point of attachment on my rail for either M-Lock or key mod. If I'm going to have to buy a secondary part, I know they're not expensive, but I have to put that, put that on the handguard and then I have to torque it to spec. And if it gets knocked around enough, could it break loose? Absolutely. Will it? Probably not, but I mean, it can. So with the quad rail, I like the fact that the rail is pre-cut, Picatinny, 1913, whatever you want to call it. It's it's all pre-cut. So if I happen to have that rifle thrown down and it scuffs up and completely mangles the front three channels on the rail, well, when I'm going to put my light on it, I can just slide it back a couple and I'm not worried about it. I can adjust those things. So I just like having the adjustability and it never fails that where I want to mount those M lock rail panels, I don't have the clearance between the gas block and the handguard or there's something in the way. So it it never fails. I always have to rig it anyway. So quad rail for me, man. Absolutely. So, Hey, we're agreeing on that. We're both quad. So here's a question. How many times have you had to take, those little screws for the M lock for the quad for the for the M lock uh, pick rails and had to sand them down to get it to fit so you wouldn't hit your gas block. Man, yeah, I know. I've done yeah. it so many yeah. times. I had to sand them down. Yeah, it's 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 terrible. And the the attachment the attachment innovation is amazing. I love that. I love the innovation. I think it's great. What what stinks is where you always want to put those pick rails is where there's something blocking in the back. And I know everybody listening to this feels that pain. So (laughs) it's, that's just one of those things. So speaking of those pick rails hitting the gas block, we've, we've came up on the gas block. So Adam, what's, what's your thoughts on that? So for me, gas block is pretty important thing for me. I've shot suppressed a long time. I ran a B- 11.5 BCM for the longest time from BCM straight up or bought it from them. Great gun, but BCM overgasses or guns I, for understandable reasons. When I finally got my suppressor, I was so excited until I got my suppressor and shot it and realized just gas in the face, gas in the face, just tons. I mean, it's super overgassed. So it wasn't, it was not a pleasant experience. So with that being said, I did switch out to a JP Enterprises adjustable gas block. I like JPs. Uh, I know... SLR makes a good one as well. For me, the JP one, I like the clamp because I don't have to worry about putting a dimple in the barrel and that stuff. I can just clamp it down. There's four. And you, once I knew I was good, I rock set them in, torched them to spec, 
Also, why I like JP is once you adjust your gas, there's a secondary screw that comes in from the other side that locks that screw down. So you kind of have a double safety. You don't have to worry about that screw backing off when you have the other screw. That's, that's pretty smart. Work down. So yeah, they do have a, a redundancy on that as well. So am I worried about that coming undone? I'm not. It's I run them on two of my rifles right now, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of them. So for me, adjustable gas block JP is my choice. So I'll go with the unpopular opinion on this. And 99% of the rifles that I run are non-adjustable gas blocks. <gasps> I know oh that's God. just going to... Yeah. So the reason I do that is I shoot suppressed 99% of the time. Almost every gun I own has a suppressor that either is specific for that application or I have one that is just my... Hey, I'm going to throw it on this today. I'm going to throw it on that tomorrow. So when I tune these guns with the buffer, with the spring, I, I set them to suppressed because in my mind, I'm never going to be in the field. And this is our building the perfect tactical rifle setup. If it hits the fan, Unless you have an adjustable gas block that is A, easy to access, and B, easy to adjust, you're probably never going to adjust it. You're going to set it and forget it. So I take that same mentality with the fixed block and go ahead and set it up for suppressed and make sure that it's not throwing a ton of gas in my face, but still enough that I know it's there. And if it's set to that, when I remove the can, I understand that while I might be running a little lean on the gas, it's not detrimental to the firearm. So I can definitely run that without a suppressor. So to me, I always run fixed, non-adjustables, but that's probably unpopular opinion. I mean, not, not necessarily. I think also typically when I'm running an adjustable gas block, I'm running it on a 11.5 or 12.5 carbine length, which is much different. Running on a mid-length system, which I have yeah. a Geisley mid-length that's not adjustable and I shoot suppressed all the time, really have no problems. So it also goes to application. I can tell you carbine length, I'm definitely always probably going to have, it's not even a question, but mid-length, and especially what we're talking about right now for building out this gun, you know, if I was buying it from Sons of Liberty and they're like, no, this is a gas block you get, it's not adjustable, I'm probably like, that's fine. Um, so yeah. going back and forth with it, I, I can go either way still when it comes to yeah, this. So if, yeah. So if, if you told me now, Hey, you got to pick an adjustable gas block, what do you like? The JP is a great one. The SLR is another one that I'm really fond of. I do have experience with that one. The one that I would love to try that I haven't ran yet is the switch block from Noveski because mm -hmm. it doesn't require a tool to adjust and it has the big fat knob. So you can turn it really easy. And they even actually have rails that are made for that yes. adjustable gas block. So you don't even have to try to get your fingers in. Like yeah. it's right on top and you just go. So if I had something like that, I may change my tune. But at this point, yeah, I'll just stick with that. So we finished our gas block just to summarize. We finished the entire upper. We have done the upper receiver. We've done the bolt carrier group we've done the charging handle we've done the barrel we've done the handguard we've done the gas block the last thing would be 
the muzzle device on the the rifle itself. So muzzle device, you got a favorite, you got one for this application, you know, what's, yeah. uh, which way are you going? Oh, so this way for sure. Since I do run a lot of everything, almost everything is suppressed. I'm going to go flash a flash hider. Uh, that just helps with flash suppression. Still, even the suppressor, maybe it's not, you know, some people argue, but it will give some help mitigation, but I do run a flash suppressor or a flash hider. I'm going to go with the Knox from Sons of Liberty and I'm not plugging them. It's just because I've ran theirs. I've ran um, Dead Airs and I've also ran, I want to say it was SLR. There's one of the third one I've ran before. And honestly, the Knox is a slightly bit shorter. I, I, it's, it, it's a great one. And also I know I can get it pin and welded onto my 13.7. And that's important to me, which you talked about earlier. The reason that's important to me is not because I'm worried about the legal law. It's because I don't want that to be a fail point. I have seen rock set fail as you have seen rock set fail typically it's been on ak's but i've seen with mm -hmm. suppressors heat up enough and you go to crank off your 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 your, your suppressor you crank that muzzle device with it. it can happen so for me i understand there's also pros and cons to doing that but i'm going to pin and weld my my flash hider on there and it's gonna be the nox 9 what about you what do you, yeah. what do you think about that man yeah that's that's my thought exactly if when it comes to how I affix my muzzle device, if I'm going to run a flash hider or a QD device, while I love rock set and it does work great. I have had rock set tubes that you get with your suppressor and I know it's not their fault. So I'll say the names I've had them from surefire. I've had them from dead air. I've had them from silencer co where you get, the rock set. And I'm sure it's just that rock set sent them a little tube out. It got packaged in the box. It set in the warehouse somewhere. It probably got cold or hot and it probably just ruined the rock set. But when you actually opened it, if it wasn't just crusty and hard already, you would get it out and you would cover all, you'd clean the threads. Then you would cover all the threads and you would affix the device to it. You'd go out and have a good day shooting and when you come back, you go to break that can loose and lo and behold, like you said, the muzzle brake came with it. And so that really turned me off on muzzle brakes. But I also am turned off on muzzle brakes because if you pin and weld them or you rock set them, if you don't hope you don't have to work on that weapon, because if you do, and you have to replace that gas block, it can start to become pesky. Can you do some things? Yes, but it can it can be a it can definitely be a frustrating moment. So for my muzzle device, I just have good old fashioned threads because I run suppressors, and when I run my suppressors, I'm a direct thread guy. I will buy the adapters from whoever makes them just so I can get the direct thread while you do have to make sure those threads are clean and you do have to make sure that you do have some sort of anti-seize on it. I don't have a problem with alignment. I don't have to deal with alignment rods so long as the barrel comes from a legitimate manufacturer and they do actually have, you know, tolerances and specifications. You also, as long as the, the suppressor comes from a reputable company, the, the lockup should be good. Now, you may need a taper washer. You may need some something of that sort. But for the most part, I'm a direct thread, I'm a direct thread guy. So, yeah. So you've talked about your 
your your muzzle device, you're talking about the Knox 9. The reason you're going to run a Knox 9 is because you're obviously going to put a suppressor on. So let's talk about your suppressor. Since we're going 5.56, before I talk about it, it's as as a dealer, as, as someone who has quite a bit of experience with 5.56 suppressors, I will say that it's hard to suppress. It's hard to make quiet. So in my experience, all you're really trying to do is take that edge off enough so you it's it's pleasant to shoot. So nothing is going to be Hollywood quiet with a 5.56. So I know sound is going to be somewhat of, you know, a reason why you're choosing what you're choosing. But also you're going to have to talk about, you know, your flash mitigation. So having said all that, what what five five six can have you had the most luck with or would you like to give a shot? So I'll I'll say this. I have the RC two from Surefire, but I would not be running that on my five five six gun. Actually I wouldn't run a five five six can personally. Right now currently in my go to I run a thirty cal can. So I'm running the Dead Air okay. Skyman um the S and it's just because well one, it gives me versatility. I know that if this is a oh crap situation or whatever and I need a my gun fails well, now I have a 30 cal suppressor that can still go on 5.56 and it can run on larger bore. So I can run it through in blackout. I can run it on 7.62 by technically 7.62 by 3.9 even, right? Or 308. Yeah. Like oh, yeah. You can run Absolutely. it all of them. So yeah. potentially you, have, you can run it all of them. So, and like you said, I'm not worried about it being the quietest can because I've ran next to it my 5.56 can and my dead air 30 cal can. I've had two people with them and we've compared the sound and it's they're about the same. Honestly, they're about the same. So, I'm not worried about that. Flash mitigation is important, but like we've talked about before, Mike, every single suppressor is pretty much, there's not a single suppressor on that first shot where you're not going to get some kind of flash. It just is what it is. There's not gas in the, in the baffles yet. And I know there's ways to mitigate that, but for the most part, and I've shot under night vision suppressed enough to know you're going to see it. It's just, you're going to get yeah. a little flash at first. It just is what it is. So me, I'm going to run a 30 cal. Uh, and right now I'm running the dead air Salmon S, but I would not be opposed to, trying others if in the future what about you yeah i know you have like a million cans so what's your right now what's your go-to can so before i tell you my go-to can i can say that i do know a manufacturer who makes a lot of suppressors right now who has not released their 556 cans specifically and i'm talking about q so q is going to release a can hopefully this year, but if it's not, I know it's early next. And I think they're calling it the lefty, but it is a dedicated five, five, six can. But what I find really interesting is they have actually ran tests using their 30 cal cans. And I can't remember if it was using their, I don't know if it was the full Nelson or half Nelson, which are now discontinued or if it was the jumbo or if it was, excuse me, not the jumbo shrimp, the trash panda or the thunder chicken, they were running one of those on it and they were finding it to be quieter than some of the suppressors that are on the market made by well-known manufacturers. And they were, they were more quiet than that. And it was a 30 cal can. So I see your reasoning why 30 cal is, is your choice. It's, it's not a wrong answer. There's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of sound. So it is really hard. 
Having said that, I too own a Surefire RC2. I have my own sentiments on the RC2. And fair. fair. Yeah, I'll go ahead and say it. So the RC2 is the wow factor and it's the fanboy can, in my opinion. Does it have military contracts? Absolutely. Does it meet the specifications that the military laid out when they were shopping for a new can? It does. Is it the quietest can on the market for 5.56? Absolutely not. Is it the lightest can on the market? Absolutely not. So I'm not an operator. I'm not an active combatant. So to me, that stuff matters, but not as much. I want quiet and I want lightweight. So having said that, my choice is going to be the Yankee Hill Manufacturing Turbo T3. I have one. I have ran one on semi-auto. I have ran one on full auto. And I can say that running that can with no earmuffs is definitely doable. It's not recommended, but it is doable. So for me, I'm going to take a 5.56 can and I'm going to take the the Yankee Hill Manufacturing Turbo T3. I mean, that's a good choice. Honestly, it's a good choice. And yeah, I, I'll be honest. Do I regret buying my RC2? Yes. If I can go back, I would have bought. I'd rather have the Sandman K right now as opposed to having that because I would have had a shorter yeah. can. I'd rather, I like to have that versatility, but it's not, it's not the quietest can. It's a tough can. It's not bad. I still run oh, it on a gun a lot, but. Dude, that can is bomb proof. Yeah, it is. So, but, but what I found is in instances where I, I, I was listening to, I was listening to a guy talk and I don't mean to go off on a tangent, but listening to a guy talk who was over in the Middle East during the during the the um, the Iraq War, he was over there and he was talking about how he was a he was an SF guy. He was he was one of the guys that would go out by himself. He would drive taxis. He would you know grow a beard and wear a hoodie, whatever he wanted. He wasn't wearing he wasn't wearing uniform. And he talked about how. 90% of the time his rifle was unsuppressed. And the reason was because unless you're trying to take out the guard at the shack before you actually go into the house, I mean, there, there, that calls for it, but it's all mission specific. And what you do not want to get into is a situation where you are running a can and you have squeezed off quite a few rounds and that can is getting hot and you have some sort of thermal shutdown on that rifle where it's too hot to shoot because that does happen. And you have to wait until that rifle cools so you can break that can loose. So having said all that, that goes to the surefire. It is bomb proof, but even in that instance, you've got guys that are using it in the military that are taking it off. So I don't know. I, I, I wish every weapon, I wish every weapon on the planet was suppressed. I think it's great for hearing. I think it's great for a good time when you're with your buddy shooting. I think it's great for people new to the sport because it's not as scary. But when it comes to 
suppressors. Five five six is hard to suppress, and I'm I'm going I'm going Yankee Hill, like I said, and you're gonna you're gonna take a thirty cal can, which isn't a bad option. So we've got these cans, so we got to make sure that we can see over these cans, so we can <laughs> you know we can take that shot. Now we got to pick that optic. We're right now we're we're open sight in Kentucky windage, so you've got to, you've got to put some sort of crosshair or something on there. So what are you running? That's a good question because right now my my two rifles that are my go tos one has an LVPO one to eight and one's running a EOTech EXPS through two with a G thirty three magnifier. Pros and cons of both, but like we talked about earlier, why am I running a five five six at the barrel length I am? Because I don't plan on really having to use this past three hundred meters. And let's be honest, the lethality of a five five six past three hundred meters drops dramatically now yes can it still do some damage it can oh yeah absolutely for every 100 meters past there you're losing a lot when you get to 500 meters the lethality has dropped dramatically with that weapon so with that round i should say so that's kind of why too you have to know know the lethality of your weapon and the round it's 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 shooting so i know my limits so for me honestly i'm gonna go with an eotech um with a riser i like the uni tactical risers and the reason i use the uni tactical ones because i use the uni tactical um, magnifier mount as well. So they're, they're, for the G33, it takes the magnification, the magnifier, and puts it dead center and not off to the side because that's annoying. And if mm-hmm. I had to run my magnifier off to the side all the time, I would probably wouldn't run a magnifier because it's annoying to me. But when Unity came yeah. out with that direct drop mount, it kept it right, right in the sight. That was really nice and convenient. So they're not cheap, but to me, they're worth the money. And I just, the LVPO is great, but do I need a power, 10 power, even six power? At 300 meters, I don't think so. I think three power. I mean, you can get the bigger one too, but for me, the three power works just fine. And um, I don't know. I have, I have no. I have no complaints. Also, for CQB, I guess uh, anyone that's ever had an LVPO, go room clear. Go go go. Take a quick shot with an LVPO. Uh, there's called eye relief, right? And if you're not, even if you have a razor, it has great eye relief. If you're not right, we need to be. You you're going to have trouble. So you better be very disciplined on cheek placement for your eye relief with an LVPO. I don't want to deal with that. So what about you, yeah. Mike? That's, so, that's my big so spiel, you. but what's yours? Yeah. So I'm with you on that. And I'll just touch a little bit more on the LPVO and just basically say that if you are room clearing with that, you're going to have to have the need for an offset optic or an over the top optic, which is fine. You want to run an RMR or some sort of pistol style dot device above it as your secondary. Do you, um, for me, for optics, growing up in Tennessee, I grew up hunting. I was taught when my eye, when when my cheek is welded and I'm looking through a scope, typically my dominant eye stays open, my non-dominant closes. I've done this for, you know, 30 plus years of hunting life. And so it's a hard habit for me to break. When I see a scope, instinctively, I want to close an eye. On this particular tactical rifle setup, I do not want anything that A, has eye relief, or B, I have to manually twist to control zoom. I'm exactly with you. I'm going to run an... EOTech, EXPS, two, three, I don't care, one of them. And when it comes to the magnifier, exact same with you. I'm going to run the the three-time 
or I'm going to run the G45, which is a five time, either or. I want that option. But even then, when I op when I flip that magnifier up, I'm going to resort back to like I'm watching a deer. That left eye is going to close. And it does it every time. And I have to untrain myself to say, nope, open your eye. But what I, the most useful piece of a holographic or red dot sight to me is that you're supposed to operate them with both eyes open. So when you tell a new shooter, keep both eyes open, they don't understand well, how, how's that going to line up? Your dominant eye is always going to, always going to focus on that red dot. And you're always going to, you're always going to see that on target. So it does take practice, but that's how they're supposed to be operated. And to take it one step further, like you did, I'm going to run a high riser mount. I'm going to run either a unity or I'm going to run a reptilia. I'm going to run one of them strictly because it's actually, to me, it's better ergonomics for my neck. It actually is more a comfortable shooting position, but also with that, if you're running a helmet with night vision, or if you're running a gas mask, or if you're just running comms, it's hard to get that calm. It's hard to get your, your headphone down when that rifle, when that stock is right there. So to be able to have the ability to no longer cheek weld, you know, up near your eye, you know, right at the high part of your cheekbone, you're kind of down in your jawline, but you're still getting a really good weld. And so I'm definitely a high riser guy. I'm definitely an EOTech guy, like you said. And, you know, that's, that's, that's my pick. No, I think it's a good pick. And also durability. Look, there are some great LVPOs out there with some great warranties, but if this is a battle rifle and it breaks on me, which an LVPO has a higher likelihood of breaking than let's say a holographic dot, just it's bigger, well, there's just more parts, just more parts. It's bigger and warranties are great, but warranties don't help me if I'm in the middle of a gunfight. So, yeah. So the only other thing I would, only other thing I would say is I do have an LPVO setup and I do love it. Mm-hmm. But if this was my tactical rifle, my first choice would be a holographic. My second choice, or red dot, but my second choice would probably be, I mean, it's tried and true. You guys use it. It would it'd probably be an ACOG. I couldn't use it at night, and the eye relief sucks, but they, there is a company out there that makes a piece that makes the eye relief way better, and it fixes all of the eye relief problems. But at least with that, I can make the argument that there's less pieces, there's less adjustability but I still get an illuminated reticle. So I do like that, but I'm still going to, I'm still going to lean on that, that EOTech. So we've got our optics, man. We've got our magnifiers. We've got all that. I think we've just about whipped it. I think we have just two more, two more uh, categories on this. So the next category up is going to be your white light. So are you going to run a white light? And if so, which one do you like? So I know this is something we've talked a lot about and we're, we're kind of different on it a little bit. So yes, on my go-to rifles, I always have a white light. And 
they are expensive. Well, they can be expensive. And I'll be honest, I do spend a lot of money on my on mine. Typically, I'm using a Surefire body just because it's tried and true. It, it's the standard. But I'll be honest, yeah. I've had issues with Surefire heads. I've had warranty issues with them. I don't think they're the best. I think five, six, seven years ago, they were the best because they were like the only competition. They were the, they were the big dog. Now, there's a lot of companies, especially there's a lot of upcoming companies that are making really good light heads. So typically right now, I'm running the Mod Light or I'm running like the uh, mock off from Arasaka. Okay. So either one I like a lot. So big fan of both of those. I do like the fact that I can run an, um, a mod light because I can use that same light head on a pistol as well. I can take that same light head, pull it off, throw it on the pistol mount. I didn't think about that. And That's really they, cool. And they also went ahead and you know, that'll, that'll holster in an X300 for a pistol. I can take it off, pop it off. I can throw it off. So I have versatility now. Now I have a light versatility. If one breaks, I can That's move really it back cool. and forth. So I do like that fact that I can do that with those. I'm not going to run an IR with that same light there. I know that the combos that do like the vampire, there's a couple other ones. Oh yeah. Mod light makes, Mod light does not make one. There's another company that makes one. The problem with that is you're going to sacrifice something. You're either going to sacrifice the IR is going to be really dim and crappy or the lumens you're going to lose on the, on the white side. You have to sacrifice one of the mm -hmm. two when you do a combo. And the vampire is the biggest waste of money out there. Someone's going to tell me I'm wrong. I've owned one. I sold it. Um, it was the biggest waste of four hundred plus dollars you're ever going to spend, in my opinion. Just because you don't get the best of either one, you're you're spending all this money for a name with subpar lighting and subpar IR. But for me, those are my picks. I do like the mod yeah. buttons. So mod buttons also, and that's an important thing too, is what light button. Now this is all expensive though. Understand that. So it, it's tough. It's hard to justify for five hundred dollars on the end of your gun for a white light, but it, unfortunately, there's 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 only a couple options that are, real, in my opinion, are good options. And yeah, you know. So what, what before about you? I, I know say, we, I know we. I was gonna say, yeah. Before I say what mine is, I do want to go ahead and do a public service announcement, and I do want to say, while we have called out Surefire talking about their can, the RC two. <laughs> And you have you have talked to th about having bad warranty issues with the light, and you've also said something about the vampire. I do still want to go out and say Surefire makes a lot of great stuff. It may not be for everyone. Some things aren't for me. Some things aren't for you, and that's okay. So I do want to say that I'm not. We're not disparaging Surefire. These are our personal opinions based off of actual experiences, not what people have told us or what we've read in a comment section somewhere. These, these are experiences we physically had, and then they have been backed up by not a comment section, but other people that we personally know that have had similar experiences. So yeah. shout out to Surefire. We're not, we're not, we're not dragging you through the mud. This is, you know, this is just an opinion based, opinion based tactical setup. And, you know, kind of is what it is. It is. So, and I run Surefire yeah. still too, Mike. So we both run Surefire. Yeah. Like I said, I, I, I don't think I even realized that at first that we were bad. I don't think we were bad. We we're just being honest about it. And Surefire came we up were. a lot with, no. But uh, Surefire is good. I mean, I still run the X300s yeah. in a lot of my pistols. So, I mean, I still own their products. Yeah. I've spent a lot of money with them. I've just, you know, honest opinions and honest, honest life experience. So, Well, I think it's important because I think it's important in anything that all, all we really have is, you know, our word. We have our honesty. And I'm not trying to turn that around on them to say, make it right. All I'm trying to say is I'm not going to ever sit up here and pretend 
that I like something if I don't truly like it. If I don't believe in it, if I don't think that it is something I would recommend to a potential client that walks through the door or a, you know, a person who's asking me what they should do for their first build or any of that, I, I don't want to steer people wrong. So I'm going to tell you in my experience, this is what I've found. Take it as a grain of salt. That's okay. But having said that, I really don't run white lights. I have a great reason why <laughs> I have a great reason why, but so here I am thinking, you know, I'm LARPing around my house outside pretending that I'm being attacked by all these countries and I'm just LARPing in my gear. You know, I'm sitting here thinking like, all right, the first way people are going to notice me is when I cut that white light on to look for my little oatmeal cream pie or whatever snack I have in my bag and everybody's going to see where I'm at and they're just going to shoot me. So that, that doesn't sound fun to me. So what I learned was I'm just going to skip the white light altogether and I'm going to go to IR light. So on my tactical rifle, I am going to put a white light, but it's probably not going to be used as much as everyone else uses their white light. I do own white lights and my favorite one by far is from Cloud Defensive. I do love the Rain 3.0. The Rain 2.0 was great. I don't know how they made it better, but that's why they do what I they do, and that's why I do what I do. So mine's cloud defensive, and I will I will put that on the front of my rifle if needed. I do have I have ran them before. I've taken low light training with them before. I'll definitely run that. As far as the button, I do like the pressure switch that the cloud defensive comes with, but I also like the, um, oh, what's it called? It's the uni. Is it the hot button? Yeah. They have the hot buttons, which are nice. They're yeah. nice. But honestly, I do like those, but yeah. they can be a little bulky and stick out a little too much for me, but you have to, again, you have to have them in the right place. And that's where you need the quad rail, because if you're running the M block, usually where I want that pressure pad is going to be right where the gas block is and it's just not going to work. And then it's not comfortable and you're not going to use it. Yeah. Um, so cloud defensive for me. I mean, it's a good pick. And honestly, I haven't, I haven't used the rain yet. I want to buy a rain. So uh, I think, is it Sean over there? Yeah. Sean. Yeah. Over Sean's listening. Yeah, dude. Yeah, bro. You know, I want to try one. So hook a brother up mm -hmm. now, but uh, the yeah. one thing I do like about cloud as well as from my understanding, they engine, you can only use their switches. You cannot use a other, you cannot use any switch but cloud. And it's because they've engineered the voltage. So a lot of times mm -hmm. people don't realize this when you buy a light and you buy the certain switch you think is Gucci. If that, the voltage between the light and the switch aren't kosher, let's call it. They're not copacetic. Yeah. Uh, you will it's see a work. major drop or you'll see a major drop in lumens because of that. And now you're like, my light doesn't work. I said it was going to work. Well, it does. You're just using the wrong switch and there's a voltage issue. So so, I mean, you can nerd out on those things, but that is something to think about. And that's something I do like about cloud is, you know, they engineer the entire product and I do want to try a cloud and I would not be opposed to, to switching over to cloud. So. Yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be disappointed at all. Yeah. Even their little lights, 
that are less that like they go in your pocket and I think they're less than like 70 bucks or something like, dude, those things are bright. So, I mean, it's definitely a, it's definitely a good light. So now I'm going to get to my fun stuff because I told you guys, I didn't run a lot of white light. So I run IR light. So Adam, I know you run an IR light too. And so let's hear about that. So yeah, I do. I run, I run an IR device. I currently have a hollow sun. I don't know what model it is. All I know is that it's uh, mine has IR laser, IR laser, visible laser. It's a T yeah. model and it's, it's great. It's, okay. I love it. You know, it's a civilian. It's not, it's not the best, but honestly, anyone's ever looked into IR devices. They are expensive. They are crazy expensive. Like you think lights are expensive. Like we're not talking, you know, I think my hollow sun and is when I, the time I bought it, I got a deal on it brand new. I think it was 800 or 900. Oh and yeah. We're it's talking, close to a thousand dollar right there. And this is a low, you know, this is not a high grade mm-hmm. one. So that's what I run right now. I do like it, but in the future, I would like to upgrade possibly to something better. But uh, for right now, mm-hmm. you know, it does the trick. It does what it needs to do. But it, unless you can get a full power illuminator, it's it's kind of tough. So yeah. what about so, you? I know I know you got to pick, Mike. What's your pick? Yeah. So to touch on what you just said, of course, you you know you've got a couple different options. You've you've got the Hollow Sun. It's civilian. It's made for civilian use and where that comes into it is really, it's all in the, in the IR pointer, the IR laser and the visible laser. The illuminator really doesn't have anything to do with it. Why these things are restricted and regulated is because they are so powerful that, you know, they, they can cause blindness. So it's not even the ATF or anybody related to firearms that regulates these things, it's actually regulated by the FDA. So go figure. Having said that you've, like I said, you've got the hollow sun, you have the Steiner makes a couple, they make the D ball D two and the D ball a three. You also have the PEC 15. You've got the aptile, You've got the, what is the B.E. Myers? The mall. mall. Now Wilcox's came out with one. And I'll even talk about the, the airsoft guys that are turned firearms guys that are trying to run some Somo gear stuff. So what, what I'll say about it all is if I had to pick one, I'm going to take the D ball D2. The reason I'm going to take the D-Ball D2 is in the civilian level, it is the brightest illuminator that you can get. So it's not the prettiest one, but it is the brightest illuminator. And that's what I care about. I rarely run my IR pointer. I hardly ever run the laser during the daytime. Yeah, it's cool, but... I don't really run that. What I do run is that illuminator. Now, when you start doing the shoot from the hip or put the butt of your rifle on your chest and you're just looking straight forward, yeah, you're going to need that pointer. But for the most part, just doing night hunting, doing night training, just running that illuminator and looking through your optic that's night vision rated, that that's it for me. You know, going back to the others, most of the ones I mentioned are not civilian legal. If you can get one, 
good for you and DM me and get me one too. I want one. But for those that can't, Hollow Sun's not a bad choice. The Somo Gear stuff, lots of people are using them. I'm seeing people say they work fine for them. Hey, if, if you're using those to, you know, do a little bit of training with and you don't want to break the budget and you're buying them potted where everything is, you know, sealed and got the little shock absorbing gel and all that. Hey, that's awesome. But I've also heard that, you know, they're only a couple hundred bucks and they are failing. So, you know, you kind of get what you pay for. If you get a lot of long life out of it, that's amazing. And I, I hope you continue to, but for me, it's definitely going to be Steiner and it's going to be that D ball D two. No, that makes sense. And I'm pretty sure we can get, they're not illegal for us to possess. You just cannot buy them directly from like a deal. They have to be like second party bought. So like I can buy, if I have a full power, I can sell it to someone as a civilian. It's a company. The ITAR rules are really weird. I believe in that. Like it's so, so what, what it is honestly with that is full power supposed to be for military and law enforcement only. Yeah. What is supposed to happen and what is supposed to happen when they're done with it and they're phasing that one out and getting the new batch in is some secondary company purchases the lot of them. They open them up and they make a modification. I'm not going to talk about what that modification is online. You can look it up, but they make a modification to it. They seal it back up and they put a tamper warranty sticker thing on, on, on where the two halves come apart. Then they sell them as civilian legal. Once it gets to your house, what you do with it, man, that's, that's your business. And I'm not going to speak on that, but yeah, there, there are people that have converted them and you know, Hey, that's cool. I just know as a firearms dealer, if I call some of my vendors and say, I know you sell the full power models, you know, send me one. They're basically going to ask me for my government purchase order and um, a basically a written order from my superior on letterhead, which not going to happen. So I'm not getting one. <laughs> one day, one day. One day, One man. Day. So I think, dude, Adam, I think this is really cool. I think it was really cool to go over all of the different parts and components. I think for beginners, it kind of lets you know that although it is a simple rifle to build and operate, if you have the patience and the correct tools, there are actually quite a few parts and quite a, quite a few decisions you have to make when you're piecing this together. And this is just for this application. I always say that the, the SR 15, the M four, the, whatever you want to call this pattern, I've always said that that is, you know, that's grown man Legos because you, you have the basic platform and then you can put all the cool parts and pieces on it to fit what you want to do, whether it be for that day or for that application permanently. So I, I think it was a really good exercise to do. And I hope a lot of people agree with what we picked. And I also hope there are a couple people out there that disagree and not just for trolling reasons. I hope people disagree and want to tell us what they would run. You, you feel the same? I do. I can't wait for the AK guys to chime in. 
I've got a couple of those. (laughs) So I've got a couple of those guys and we're going to have one of them on and I'll go ahead and fire the first shot over the bow and say that, yeah, we're going to do a debate. And my first question I'm going to ask you guys is if the AK is that awesome and that popular of a platform, why don't more law enforcement military use it other than Russia and the Middle East? So. I'll leave that there and let you guys think about it. Get back to me when you have a second. And uh, yeah, I think that's it, Adam. So if you, uh, if you don't have anything else, go ahead. Yes. Sign us out. Yeah, no, I appreciate everyone chiming in today. And uh, Mike, it was another great episode and uh, we'll be back next week. Later.